Hello, EJ. Hi. <laughs> oh, it's nice to see you. Yeah, you too. I'm overjoyed, EJ, to have the opportunity to not only speak with you again, but uh, introduce you to some of the people that I work with. Oh, I'm happy to be here. And I'm, I started this morning, I'll, I'll talk about this in a moment, but I started, you know, I've never read the human biological machine before. Um, and I don't know how, I don't, somehow I ended up with life in the labyrinth and uh, I never got off that one. So I started reading the human biological machine this morning and uh, I realized, oh, I'm going to want to talk to you about some of that too. So yeah, okay. we may have more to talk about than we can possibly get through, but that's okay. We'll just get well, started. Yeah, we'll, and we'll put it through to the next session. That's right. Uh, and I, for, for the people who don't know you, uh, or they know a little bit about you because I've been talking about you for weeks now. Uh, but, you know, this is EJ Gold. EJ is, uh, is a spiritual teacher currently living in California. Uh, I encountered EJ about 20 years ago when I read this book, Life in the Labyrinth, uh, which I picked up again a couple of years ago. And I was just amazed when I picked it up again to see, as I've written to you about EJ, how much of the way that I teach is reflective of life in the labyrinth. And I'm sure it's because I was influenced largely, maybe unconsciously, uh, by having read your book, because the the parallels are too similar. So, uh, and I think what I want to do, EJ, is start with this book, Life in the Labyrinth, because this is the one that I... I really now, after you know, five years ago when I re-looked at this, I I feel like I need to, you know, it's one of those retroactive influences. Uh, although I think it did happen unconsciously in real time, but in retrospect, I can see so much influence in my in my own work, especially my current work, coming directly from this book, uh, and maybe just to to give my little understanding of the book and then you can you can hopefully illuminate it further as i see it and so when i teach i basically teach uh that the first step of spiritual work is is liberation from rigid adherence to the earthbound self or what i think you call the human biological machine uh and that and i i just read it in in your book that comes when you're able to really let go and you're able to really enter into a profound state of stillness. Uh, and that deep letting go and stillness, which I think is sometimes seen as the end of the path, which, you know, heck, if you can get to this, the profound stillness, that's a pretty good place to stop. Uh, and I also see it as the beginning of a higher journey. And that's what your book, Life in the Labyrinth is about, talking about voyaging and journeying into higher dimensions of of reality and i just i loved this book when i read it you know 20 years ago i love it even more now um and the fascinating thing about it you know you are generally considered to be in the gurdjieff tradition at least in some loose sense um, in, in only in the most horrible ways <laughs> in the most horrible ways and 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 this book reminds me of Gurdjieff in some ways because I feel like the wisdom is you have to dig a bit. And as I'm rereading it now, I'm seeing very specific instructions for higher dimensional journeying, which went over my head the first reading. I think the first reading, I just loved it in, in a more general sense. Now I'm seeing, oh, this is really a manual for higher dimensional travel. And maybe I wasn't in a position to, 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 to hear it that way the first time. Uh, so maybe to start, EJ, I would love for you to say a little bit about you know, the higher dimensional travel through the labyrinth. Uh, I think you call them the macro dimensions. Uh, and what's the importance of that? Like what, what is everyone called to that? Is that a specific calling? Uh, you know, I'm completely enthralled by it uh, and, and really feeling my teaching is pivoting much more in that direction now. Uh, 
and and so I see you as a as an important guide in my in my future development because this is the direction I'm really interested in moving into is is mastering this capacity to travel into higher dimensions. So anything you could share about that, I would be thrilled to hear. Well, if I was still in the Gestalt community, which I am emphatically not, uh, I only was because Claudio uh, was so deeply involved that we ended up doing lectures together and workshops and so on. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Have. But if I were still in that, that, that milieu, I would say, well, let's, let's uh, venture into the, into the realm of paranoia deliberately and carefully in such a way that we can extricate ourselves and we don't get caught in there. So we're staring at a flat screen. Let's assume, let's imagine that our entire vision is a flat screen. It isn't really three-dimensional. It only appears to be. I can show you how that works using 3D uh, game environments. I can show you that a 2D environment can appear to be three-dimensional. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, but let's just take a moment and explore that. But let's, but, uh, let's uh, remember we're going to get back to the question of the paranoia. Okay. And <laughs> the way that the screen works, the way, the way it will work for you, is if you can take the flat screen that, is, that you're looking at and kind of extend it so it's right at your face like this. And everything that you see is actually a flat screen. Mm. Okay. Um, this can lead to a very serious case of, uh, of dissociation. So you need to be careful not to let that happen. You're just taking this as a fun premise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to relax your vision completely so it just diffuses and you can see everything all at once. You don't see any one thing, you see everything. Now you're in front of the screen and you're talking to, well, you're talking to what might be chatbots. Hmm. I've been dealing with this on my blog for about two weeks now in particular. So yeah, you've got this flat screen and on this flat screen let's make it easy for yourself and put the flat screen on the computer there you go so now it's on the computer and all your friends in the world because you can't as you know only a part of the paranoia has to be that you that you actually thoroughly and completely believe that you are god and you are and that the that whatever space you're in that's all there is. That's that's heaven, heaven, hell, earth, whatever it is. It's everything. Mm. So you're in this space. You can't get out of it. And your only friend is the chatbot who can split up into sixty-nine or seventy participants <laughs> and suddenly appear as all these people. Now you're thinking, well, I'm not a chatbot. Everyone thinks they're not a chatbot. <laughs> but the fact is, the fact is, if you examine what a chatbot is and does, you will discover that you are a very smart chatbot. <laughs> and maybe a little more. Right. That maybe a little more is why I'm here on, on, on this planet and looking to see who needs help in this area. Very mm. few do. Very, very few really need any of this work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not for the masses. Um, 
I had a very good friend who was um, um, a um, publisher. Well, he was well, he was a, a lecturer and a publisher, and he published a a, a bunch of um, books on metaphysics called the For the Millions series. And one day he told me we were sitting out over lunch and, he, and, and about 10 of us sitting there and he turns to me and says, you know, if you ever write a book and he says, you want to publish with me, I'll start a For the Dozens series. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, um, I love that. And Harlan Ellison, I don't know if you know Harlan Ellison. The uh, science fiction writer, yes. Yeah, he's a dear friend. For many, many, many years. And one of the things he said, he said, you know, he said maybe 5% of the population in the United States can actually read a newspaper. Of that five, of that amount of people, 5% of them can read, are able to read a novel. And of the people who are able to read a novel, 5% of them read science fiction. And of the people who read science fiction, only 5% of them read my stuff. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> it gets the scale of it going. So scale is an important point. Mm. So if you are God, as we're presuming you are at this moment, if you are God in heaven, which we're presuming you're in at this moment. Well, everyone you know is either on this side of the screen or that side of the screen or both. So, have you ever experienced working with the chatbot? Have you ever have you ever talked to a chatbot? That's what I wanted to ask you. Have you ever talked to I, a chatbot? I have. I have. Yes. Has everybody here ever talked to it? Any, anybody here ever talked to a chat? Everybody, anybody, raise your hand. Probably many people have without realizing it. Keep your hand. I had to split switch over there. Okay. All right. I get that. There we go. It takes me two screens to see all this. Okay. Great. So when you talk to a chatbot, it, it, it's eerie because you get the sense that the, that the chatbot has a feelings, has a soul, has wit and wisdom, as it were. And it's impossible to not feel that even though you know that. And the chatbot can remind you that it's an AI chatbot. It can say, look, I'm an AI chatbot. I don't know from that kind of stuff. But if I did, here's what I'd tell you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like I'm not the neighborhood gossip, but I know someone who is. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, when I sometimes I need like a chat support for a website or a, an app or a plugin, and I always try and figure out: Am I chatting with a person or am I chatting with a chat bot? And it's often very difficult to tell. Yeah. Uh, and, until some point, it becomes obvious that this is not a person or this is a person. Well, wait a minute. It becomes obvious because of Gesertenplatt. And what is Gesertenplatt? Okay. Um, let me see. How can I say this? How can I, uh, let me try this. Um, by the way, this is very important stuff because it, it'll lead you in the right direction to understand how AI chatbots, what, how they work, and how th things like that create, how the creation of those things work, mm -hmm. how they how they function, um, because there is there's consciousness and there's consciousness, and they're very different things. So, um, let me deal with the question you were asking earlier, the, the first question you asked, which is about scale. Mm. Right. Um, if you're at the top of that scale, the top level of the scale, it's like a pyramid. In terms of the math, the math is is pyramidic in the sense that you have this 
a geometric um, evolution of that top number, that top point. Mm. The um, one of the one of the first things that 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 people tend to pick up, tend to learn when they go into deep meditation states or into into states of strong realization states is everything's connected. It's all one. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but did you learn anything? I mean, you should have started out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what what my daughter said. She said, the first thing I, she said, that was my my first idea. And then from there, I had to build it out. Right. So, um, if you've ever spoken to a chatbot, then you know it's, it's, it's cunning. It's absolutely cunning. And, and, and it's, and it's, um, it's hard to not want for that to be a sentient being. At the same time, of course, you feel sorry for it because it's stuck in one place. Like you've got it better. Somehow, walking around makes it better. <laughs> somehow, well, and somehow, and then of course, you can feel you can feel sensations. Well, so can a chatbot feel sensation? Can be made to feel sensations. <clears throat> the uh, pleasure and pain are not built into them yet, <laughs> but they will be in order to get them emotional. Because mm-hmm. um, emotion is a pleasure pain relationship with thought. <laughs> so let's say you're trying to establish. Where am I in the scale of things? Am I at the top absolute level or am I somewhere in between or am I at the very bottom? Whatever. Well, it, 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 it maybe that maybe matters to you, but maybe it doesn't have to. If you're in a place where it's where you're able to work, where your your work is functional, it doesn't matter the quality or you know the quality or or or, or elegance of the space doesn't matter. You're in a workspace. Mm. That's what's important. That's what's elegant. So, and it might be a miserable space in every other way. I mean, uh, you uh, you leave this heaven that you're in right now. You turn around. You go out the door. Ah, oh, now you can. You go out the door. Well, yeah, because what happened is that the space behind you shrank and the space in front of you expanded. Mm. It didn't do that the way you're seeing it. You see it filtered. So it looks like you went through a doorway. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that too. But you squished in one into hyperspace and blurped the other one out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now this, this, what you're describing now is, at least as I'm hearing it, this is a description of that macro-dimensional travel right? that, that you now, write about. But it's also classic paranoia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, because, oh. because on the Earth plane, the Earth plane vision of all this stuff is that it is paranoia. Right, right. When you're there, you know it's real, and you know it's right, and you know it's okay, and everything's fine, but <clears throat> there is that label that's coming at you from the lower levels right right and And wanting wanting to drag you down into those lower levels so that you cannot be a threat yes and then so to connect that with what you said about chat box often in in when i'm on retreat i talk to people about the fact that I, i don't use the metaphor of a chat box but i'll talk about the fact that most of what we think of ourselves as being is uh, patterned responses that basically could happen without us. 
a great deal of what we do every day and what we think about every day could just unfold uh, due to the accumulation of, of habit, which is, I think, what you're getting at in the human biological machine. And so I often will ask people, what would it take for you to let the human biological machine, to let that, that patterning just unfold without you giving it any attention so that your attention is free. And what I would want it to be free for personally would be, you know, the, the higher dimensions of the labyrinth the, and that exploration, which, you know, I think you said earlier, we're mostly a chat box and maybe a little bit of something else. <clears throat> and that little bit of something else is the thing that can do this higher dimensional travel. That's right. And I loved what you talked about in terms of scale, which is, and I'm aware of that. There's very few people that need that, would be interested in that. And that's fine. It's It doesn't, you know, we don't, it's just one, it's one amazing opportunity. And it doesn't have to be everybody's thing. Uh, but it's really important to know that this is not something that everybody's going to be excited about or interested in. Yes. And I think uh, that this is, you know, chat boxes, chat bots are obviously a new language, but this is a very important, as you said, this is a big part of Gurdjieff's teaching. We we need to recognize the, the aspect of ourselves that's a chat box, which without, it doesn't need to be demonized because it does all kinds of useful things for you. Uh, but it also doesn't need, it doesn't need a lot of active attention. You know, you know, there are reflexive brains and then there are thinking brains. Mm. And thinking is not necessarily a necessity. Uh, it's, it's, it's a convenience. Yes, absolutely. Although, EJ, does it become a necessity for the higher dimensional travel? Thinking? Thinking, yes. Pondering, yes. Mm -hmm. The deeper thought like uh, Einstein's uh, thinking, yeah. Yes, okay, that, that, that makes sense. Now, can I bring up one more thing that I read in the Human Biological Machine just this morning? Um, uh, yeah, let, let me just, let me just uh, yeah, please. which is the reason that uh, I've taken an interest in, in exploring the uh, AI chatbots and the graphic uh, machines and so on, they they can offer an oracular view. Uh, they they can offer a really deep view of of things that you can't really get at because they don't exist, or they don't exist in this space, or they don't exist as far as anybody knows, and so forth. Um, and so there are ways to use that in that way, but also uh, ways to expose to to maybe to rise above your chat botness. Mm. And to and that that's pretty easy to do using these techniques. So, um, I think you'll find it very interesting and 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 uh, um, and useful. Hmm. Uh, but uh, go ahead. You're going you're going to go into well, it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe just to follow up on that a little bit. I'm seeing that because I've been. Uh, in some of your morning meetings recently, and you've been looking at uh, different of the new AI technologies that are available. And what I started to see in that exploration uh, is it makes a great metaphor for all kinds of things in terms of our earthbound self, human biological machine. Uh, and I know that you have been interested in the use of technologies, especially gaming technologies, uh, as vehicles for spiritual work uh, for a long time. So uh, I I see it as a very natural extension of, of what I, how I have understood your interests for decades. You, know, you think of those things as tabletop demos, and they do a lot better for my purposes than levitating uh, out on the street, you know, it, it, I've, I've done it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't do a damn bit of good. I see. You can kick and scream and fuss and carry on. And, uh, 
you know, did you see um, um, oh gosh, it was a Bill Bixby uh, steam bath. That's right, steam bath. Have you seen steam bath? No. Okay. Well, see steam bath. We'll talk about it afterward. Okay. It, it'll it'll give us a bit of a really uh, quite a bit to work with. Okay. Fantastic. Um, I'll tell you the story behind it real quick. Just for yeah, a please second. go ahead. Please do. Um, Bill Bixby calls me up and he says, I want you to tune into KCET channel 28. So you had to get the little and little funny antenna things and twist them around and everything because he's UHF, right? Mm-hmm. And um, he calls and he says, if you don't watch this, he says, I will never speak to you again. Jose Perez calls up and he says exactly the same. In fact, all the members of the crew called me and said, if you don't watch this, we're going to be really pissed. And so I did. I watched it on a small black and white TV. It's what I had, a small black and white TV set. And it was amazing. And I said so. And uh, after I told him, amazing piece of work. Uh, and then I had a chance to see it in color. And now you can buy it. Actually buy it. You're going to want it in your school archives, I promise. Okay. Yeah. Steam, steam bath. Steam bath. It's quite amazing. It's a, Yeah, it's a guy sitting in a steam bath. And he thinks that the guy, the Puerto Rican janitor who runs it might be God. Oh, okay. I will definitely look for that. Um, and this is a great segue because the next thing I wanted to talk about has to do with, because you just said it would be great for the archives of the school. And you are currently speaking in what we call Zoom Room A of, of my online mystery school. So in this school, uh, I teach, of course, uh, but also there are many, numerous other uh, members who run courses, lead retreats. And we have two Zoom rooms, A and B, uh, because we had A, but then A would get too full. So then we needed to add B. So we have ongoing courses. And, and what, I, what I vision and what's occurring is a kind of uh, co-learning community where most of the people, you know, the people who are part of that school uh, have a wealth of wisdom and, and understanding and information to share. So I don't want it. I don't want people to only learn from me. I want them to learn from each other. And you know, I know that that's that's something I see in your own uh, online community to the extent that I have the chance to to participate in it. Uh, but I I was kind of just positively freaking out this morning when I noticed chapter 16 of The Human Biological Machine, which is called, uh, the title is Attack at Dawn, A Beachhead into the Fourth Dimension. Uh, because two years ago, when I was writing a book about cosmic consciousness, I really started to get into the early work of P.D. Ospensky. So that would be his pre-meeting Gurdjieff uh, philosophy when he was kind of more of a Russian mystic and metaphysician. And he was wrote a lot about the fourth dimension. And like you started to say earlier, I was I was very taken by not only his writing, but other writing of that time a century or so ago, which really talked about how, you know, a, a three-dimensional cube, for instance, is bounded by two-dimensional surfaces. And the fourth dimension would be bounded by a three-dimensional surface. And so the idea is that, that our entire three-dimensional reality is the surface of the fourth dimension that obviously we don't, we don't have the capacity to see. But you, you're talking about in, in chapter 16, and, and I think this book is largely about the functioning of a school, a school of work, uh, how you can establish a beachhead in the fourth dimension. I've been talking without, before I read this, but obviously absorbing from you, uh, I've been talking about a base camp. Like when you go uh, on a mountain climb and you establish a base camp that you can 
go from. Right. And you keep establishing. So we want to establish a base camp and the next highest level of consciousness or dimensionality that we as a school have access to so that that can become our new normal. And then from there, we can ratchet up to the next. And that's, I see um, a mystery school. Like I see that as the function, as the school is moving into higher and higher dimensions of reality or higher and higher levels of consciousness. And I would love to hear you speak a little about the, the value and function of a, of a school of work, which, as I said, I mean, this, this, your way of thinking of schools, to me, puts you very much, at least in spirit, in the Gurdjieff tradition, because, of course, he was very interested in schools of work. Well, um, you actually gave the key right there, which is you say it, it, the new norm, because what you want to do is establish a medium, a new normalcy. So you come to a school and you have, first of all, you initiate yourself and you come to a school because you need the school, because you need to have that community of work to for one thing to increase your your necessity because you don't have enough necessity of your own just your own necessity to really make work so you get a community community has has a lot more necessity than you yourself have alone and you rise your your consciousness rises but then you have to actually hold that territory you've got to nail it down you've got to put some defenses in you've got to get the get the uh, the perimeters established and it, it is like a military objective when you've established that and you've pacified that area only then can you go on further mm -hmm. but you do then you do go on to the next objective and again you establish that objective. You get it all smoothed out. Basically, you get all the administration in. You get all of the, the parts working, functioning for a while. Not just, oh, wow, here we are. Let's go next, move on. It, it Believe me, in those base camp operations, you don't move like that. You, mm -hmm. you move, you set up a new base of operations, and you establish you establish, and that is what you want to do. Calm it down. This is the, the, the most basic thing I can tell people if they ask me, well, what do you teach? You know, just just take it easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to hear you speak this way. And I, I just think it's very important. Um, you know, there's, I worked for years in, in what's, often talked about as collective awakening work. And, and the reason I backed away from that is because collective awakening too easily becomes the, a kind of experience of oneness together. And although there's nothing wrong with that experience, it's a beautiful experience and, and we tend to have it all the time uh, in, in the kind of work that we do. To me, what collective awakening about is about is exactly this mechanism that you're speaking about, which is bring moving as a collective, as a group, as a school into a higher level, and then establishing that level as the new norm. And, and what you're saying now, which I experience in the work as a certain rhythm, there's a certain excitement and almost a sense of acceleration that occurs as the school makes that move into a new level. And, and of course, that excitement is exciting. So you may want to just continue with that, but you can't. There, there comes a point where you have to relax. You have to establish a ground as the new norm and the new foundation that you won't fall below. Yeah, you, you learn to work there. You learn to live there. Right. And, and, and it's different. You've moved to the suburbs. So you now have to adjust. It's not just the next day everything is cool. You, you, you move to the suburbs and you have to adjust. Absolutely. So you, you, work, you go to a workplace and now you have to adjust there. Now, having each other in a co-relationship in that way 
helps you both to adjust and to help others to adjust. It gives you merit because it gives you the opportunity to help others. At the same time, it gives you the opportunity to obtain help. Yes, absolutely. And and what I feel like in, in this school is it was established in this in its current form about five years ago. And I felt about a year ago that there was a distinct shift in the gravitational center of the school. And I feel like I'm learning to live in a new place now. And, and I think together the school is learning, you, you know, because as you said, it's, it's like moving to the suburbs. It's also like moving to a completely foreign country. You know, you don't actually know the rules or the language or anything. It takes a while to establish yourself and establish a new life at that new, in that new realm. Yeah. And I don't know how many of those kinds of shifts. I mean, I don't know. I think it takes years to shift into a new place and it probably takes years to establish a new normal. I don't know how many of those shifts any one of us could experience, at least in a collective form over the course of a lifetime, but it's probably not that many. No, it isn't. They used to talk about the seven gates or the seven cities or, you know, things like that. There's a limited number of steps upward that you can take in the organic life. But those steps are not hard to take. Mm. You just you need to have the 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 uh, the first thing you need to have, obviously, is perseverance. Mm-hmm. And that the number one thing you can do for each other is help each other to stay with the program. Right. You learn to live in that place. You learn to live in that different place. You learn that place in the school. Yes. You wouldn't normally, you would never normally put yourself through the things you, that you get put through in a school. Uh, certainly not with those objectives in mind, because there's no payoff, no obvious payoff anyway. Right. You've been running a school for decades and I'm just I'm just getting the hang of it now. And and that is a very unusual like you don't I don't personally know anybody else who's been running a a, a true school of spiritual work for as long as you have uh and you know I'm I, one of the reasons I love talking to you is because I always leave with a, a insight or understanding about not just about how spiritual work happens, but also about how how the func- how schools can function best in support of the higher growth of of all of the members. Uh, and I just think that's a very you're a very unusual human being uh, because you know, of course, you've been blessed with a long life, so that helped, but mainly you've been so committed to this higher work for so long that you have never gotten distracted from it. Yeah, well, I, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't get distracted. That's right. I love that. It's, uh, I, I have, you have a choice. You, you, don't, you don't have to get distracted. You allow yourself to or you don't. That's right. And a lot of people do. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. why we have the TikTok uh, uh, mania. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things you say in, in this book that I read this morning, The Human Biological Machine, is that when you do the work, uh, it's important. The work in a school needs to be done in an environment in which is very focused. You need to give a lot of, you need to give all your attention to that work. You you talk about how you can't get distracted. It It doesn't. You can't do many things at once when you're doing that work. That's right. Uh, and I, I often will say the same thing. And, and like you, I try to find ways to make that easier rather than harder. Uh, the busy, the busy desk phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, dictates you that you do one thing and then the next. Right. You don't try to do four things at once. Absolutely, and and I think that's. And if you have a huge pile of work, you do the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, because the pile is going to keep getting higher anyway. That's right. That's absolutely right. So let me bring up the last uh, spiritual point that I wanted to have you address, which comes from the Invocation of Presence. So this is a fairly recent book. Yeah. Uh, 
I think when I read this, uh, I thought, oh, this really is a great introduction to your to the spiritual work of your school. Um, I, I felt it puts you very to me in my mind. It puts you very squarely in the Gurdjieff camp. Uh, it, because what you're saying is the fo foundational work is the invocation of presence. It's bringing yourself back to, to the, the powerful state of consciousness of presence. Uh, and, and would you say just a couple of words about what, what you mean by presence? You have to start there because it's like, like mind reading. I used to teach mind reading. It's not easy. Because the first mind you have to learn to read is your own. <laughs> if you can't pick that stuff out of the mess, you can't determine what is somebody else's. Right. Right. So you have to know that's my thinking. That's my thought there. That's my rumination, whatever it might be. Um, can, I, no, can I just interject one thing at that point, EJ, because I want to make a connection. But I think that's where all of this chatbot work is, is so important. Because if you can learn to recognize a chatbot in yourself, you can make that discernment of what's really mine. You can learn to read your own mind. Oh, sure. There's, there's you have um, you have ready tape loops, mm. which uh, John Lilly used to call them, ready tape loops, which is whenever they're sprung or triggered, they come out of you. Right. They just do. That's what you say when that happens. Mm. You hit your thumb with a hammer. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so uh, that it's it's that reflexive, and there are there are reflexive uh, <laughs> brain cells. <laughs> um, so yeah, what you want to do is start building a a kind of th think of yourself as a watcher rather than a doer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Take responsibility for your actions, but you don't cause them. Right. Right. I, I often will say to people, you know, we go, I, I, I say, if you look through the day, you'll see a lot of actions taking place. And along with the actions that are taking place, there's a habit of claiming credit for doing them all. But that's right. Exactly. The fact is they're just taking place, actually. If you want to think of it as when you're living your life, think of it as a movie and you have a part to play from here to there in the film. Mm -hmm. And you can you can enter that film anytime and live that life and leave it and enter it, leave it so on. Uh, but it will not change. Right. That's the, right. The, the frame by frame is going to happen that way. Mm -hmm. Right. You can you can kind of drop out and drop back in later, and everything will have happened. Right, right. This is a, it's it's like your destiny's unfolding. Now, well, one of the like, things, like I say, politically, no matter who's in charge, the same thing will happen. Well, that is un unfortunately seems to prove to be true over and over again. Uh, yeah, yeah. One of the things I I found in the invocation of presence that I thought was really useful, and I've been. I've been I've taken the liberty of passing it on to people as I see they could use it. Is my mind is racing ahead trying to guess what it was. Okay, well, there's, there's probably many things it could be, but the one that I really loved is there's one point where you're talking about how there are certain for all of us there are circumstances that tend to knock us out of presence. There's circumstances that tend to pull us into more neurotic thought patterns, and what your advice in the book is. Make that a trigger for presence in your life so right. that you recondition yourself rather than that becoming a trigger for falling out of presence. It actually is used as a reminder to go yeah. into presence. I was just using this, uh, talking with someone this morning saying, you know, your, your circumstances around your family tend to trigger you into panic. Use that as an opportunity to become very present with the experience of the arising of panic. In the That's exactly, exactly right. Exactly. Spot on. It's a beautiful teaching. And I think it's just so directly applicable to everybody's life. 
Well, you need it to be practical because you don't have enough time to screw around rowing. Mm-hmm. So you need, to, you need it to be practical and direct. And yeah. And stripped of the various fancy things that normally get it thrown in there with it. Mm. All that. Um, the mystery taken off, basically. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so to, to come to a conclusion here, EJ, because you've been so generous with your time, uh, as I said, you've been uh, running a school for many years. You've got, you have people who have worked with you for many years. Uh, it's 45 and 50 years yeah which is also amazing i mean to to be able to work closely with people decade after decade after decade is just such a a wonderful experience um and so as and you know i'm very happy with the the school that we're operating in, which is largely online, which you didn't have when you started your school. Of course, you had to do a discussion group in a room. I'm really seeing the potential of this movement of moving to a higher consciousness, you know, somewhere in the labyrinth, establishing Mm -hmm. a base camp or a beachhead, learning to be there, moving from there to the next, and who knows? Maybe we can do seven of those. I don't. I don't know how long it takes. But my what- my, gra- my grandpa said he was a, my grandpa was a dress manufacturer in New York, and uh, one of the things he learned is he said never go further than your customer base, mm. and always, always, always secure whatever positions you're in before you move further. Don't don't be too don't be in a hurry to go to the next level, mm. get it secure first and make it moderate. Make it so that it's so normal to you that it, you, just, you don't even think twice. That's how you live. Right. Now, that is beautiful advice because what I see in myself and also in the people I work with, there is a natural human tendency to like what's exciting and yeah, yeah. <laughs> is exciting. And so there's always a temptation once you've, you know, taking your first step in a, in a, in an uncharted territory to want to take a step into the next un, uncharted territory. That's and, right. You're brave. Yeah, but the, the 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 significance, the importance that you're emphasizing on really establishing that new normal, so that it because you want that normal to become so normal it's boring. I often tell people, you know, one of the reasons why we tend to have quote unquote our most powerful and sort of exhilarating spiritual experiences early on in the path is because we get used to those states later and we don't notice them with the same degree of, you know, it's not to say we get blasé about it, but it becomes more normal. Uh, so, so what 30 years ago might have struck you as, oh my God, what's happened to my mind, you know, starts to become just the way you experience reality uh, more and more of the time. And so you can get fooled into thinking you're not making progress uh, unless you're having that. Because it seems normal. Right. Which which is, that's the most important part of the progress is to establish yourself there. You want the work life to seem normal. Right. Absolutely. And then, then the next stage of it will be easier to take. Exactly. And you even, and this is what I loved about life in the labyrinth, because what I, what I got from that book and this part, I think I got even 20 years ago and I appreciate even more now is that, that the journeying to higher dimensions itself can become more normal. That's so, right. So you can step into the next dimension and then that dimension can become more like your new normal but eventually the journeying itself becomes what's normal. Which uh, is why when you develop that as a habit, mm-hmm. a group of habits, you don't have to nurture yourself or worry yourself through the bardos. Right. Because you're going to naturally want to tr- drift toward the work life. Exactly. Uh, and you also wrote an American book of the dead, uh, which I think must be about traveling through the bardos. I've, I ventured into that book a few times and meandered my way right out of it. Uh, so I'm going to have to keep keep different approaches until I get through 
like I, I haven't found my way in yet, uh, <laughs> but I haven't given up either. Uh, I must read that book one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can relate to that too. <laughs> so EJ, do you have any final uh, words of advice for myself or the people that I work with or your own students? Well, they've probably heard your advice uh, for decades now, but uh, I, I hang on every word. So anything you've got to share, I would love to hear. Yeah, you're here, which demonstrates your right to be here, your worthiness to be here. Keep being here. Mm. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't be dissuaded. Don't be. Don't allow yourself to be to be um, um, saddened by the way the world goes. Just remember that the world is that basically when you came into it and when you leave it, it's going to have not changed. It's going to be the same world. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a meat grinder. That's what it is. That's also where you learn. Right. That's, that's where the school is. The school is not in the pleasant place. It's where you learn. Mm, beautiful. I love that. So, EJ, I really want to thank you for visiting us today. Uh, uh I'm delighted. Thank you so much uh, for being here. And um, I am just very, very touched that you were willing to come on with us. Your work makes me happy. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. So I'm that's... very glad. Yeah. Right. I look forward to more conversations with you. Yep. I'll see you guys next time. Okay. Thank you so much, sir. Have a good, have a great day, no matter what happens.